Hello, and welcome to the Hello, I'm Grieving podcast. I am your host, Dr. Julie Shaw, founder of the Hello, I'm Grieving community, where we focus on acknowledging and dealing with grief to live a full life. Our tagline, Say Hello to Grief, emphasizes the importance of mindfully and courageously acknowledging with and engaging with grief so we can find hope, lessons, motivation, and healing in the midst of our pain. Today, we have the opportunity to say hello to Charlene Lamb. Charlene is a certified grief coach and curator of the Grief Gallery. After her mother died suddenly in 2013, Charlene leaned into her creativity and curatorial instincts to guide herself through grief. Since then, she's presented multiple international exhibitions featuring the belongings of loved ones lost. Charlene believes we are all curators after a loved one dies and developed her curating grief coaching framework to help people process grief in a creative and accessible way. Originally from New York City, she's based currently in Lisbon, Portugal. So hello, Charlene. We are so happy to have you here today. Hello, Julie, and hello, listeners. And I do want to extend that invitation to have you come and visit me in London. No. Yes. <laughs> You've been traveling a lot. You've been traveling a lot. <laughs> we can keep it going. Yeah, yeah. Because I know you were just, you were thinking about going to London or you were in London? Um, I lived in London for over eight years. Okay. So that's also on my mind. But I'm actually Lisbon, Portugal. So you are welcome yeah. to come and visit me in Lisbon. Yes, we can We can do it all. We can do it all. Especially that's um, what we were talking about before is um, when I played basketball professionally is that's where I was based out of. So I had yeah. the opportunity to go, to go to Portugal and travel and it was much different back then. Um, oh, but yeah. Yeah, just getting around, but I was able to do it and actually picked up the language as well. Have you been picking up the language? Mostly food. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm learning though, uh, un bocadinho, which okay. is a little mouthful, yes. which is how they say like a little bit, which I think is so sweet. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, with the little bit of time that we have today um, with each other, would love to just share with everyone listening what you do because I think it's just the coolest thing with creativity and it seems so simple but it has a lot of depth to it and a lot of healing um, in it as well and I feel like it's just one of those ideas that it's just perfect so um, tell us more about the grief gallery yeah I mean in terms of healing right I think a lot of us have this experience after we lose a loved one where we're either clearing out their home because we have to sell it or we have to end the lease or we're just sorting through belongings for some reason and everything looks different after they've died everything becomes precious and really meaningful yeah you're nodding you've experienced that too oh yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah. yeah, you could tell us about your experience as well. Yeah, for me, it was 10 years ago. Uh, my mother, Marilyn, she died suddenly from a stroke. And she had this 3,000 square foot dream house in New York, which is where I'm from and where she's from. And I was living in London at the time. And I had to empty out her house. I had to sell it. I couldn't afford to keep it, which meant I had to sort through all of her things. And I felt so attached to everything. I wanted to keep everything, but I couldn't. So it's a common problem. And I had maybe an uncommon solution, which was to curate and to put on an exhibition about my mother. At the time in London, I was working as an independent curator and I was presenting exhibitions that featured the work of ceramicists and jewelers, illustrators. So it was natural to me to be thinking in terms of exhibitions. And through a spark of genius, or maybe my mom sent a message, I don't know. But I asked myself, all, <laughs> all of the above, right? We can yeah. interpret it all these different yeah. ways, which I think is a really interesting aspect of how we approach grief and as a potential source for how do we process our losses. But in that moment, I asked myself, what if I was to do an exhibition about my mother? Mm. If I was to do an exhibition about my mother, 
which 100 objects would I choose? And that was a very practical question in that it got me choosing. Because as a grieving daughter, I, I couldn't make any choices. I was just frozen. Mm -hmm. But with my curator hat on, oh, okay, this is a creative brief. I know what to do with a creative brief. I can start choosing. And I did eventually do an in-person exhibition in London with my mother's belongings. And it was really beautiful. And I found that question to be one, a beautiful lens of looking at my mother's belongings and the objects in her home. And it's also how I work with people now as a grief coach to say, Ooh, what would you choose if you were to do an exhibition about your person? Right? Maybe you're not a curator, maybe you don't have a gallery space, but you are choosing things all the time, both physical things and also how we remember our people. Yeah. So that's the starting point of saying, ooh, I think we are all curators. Yeah. Especially after a loved one dies. Yeah. So there's a lot in there. There are so <laughs> many things that I feel like people can resonate with, right? Like you listed off a big one is even the the financial piece that we couldn't um keep the house and yeah. then making big decisions there i think when when somebody dies there's this whole wave of all these myriad of questions and decisions that you have to make and then even as you ended with what you were just saying is as a grieving daughter as a grieving person it, it gets kind of like, what do I do? And, and it gets, it can get kind of muddled and foggy. Right. Um, yeah. and, and making those decisions, especially even then taking it to then that next step of, okay, what are the objects and items that I want to keep? So it's this constant filtering and choosing and decision-making. Yeah. Um, and we have to make these decisions, right. Mm -hmm. We're called to make these choices when we are least equipped Yes, to make these choices. That part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whether it's putting together the memorial slideshow and we have to go through photos and that's curating. Choosing which images, which moments we want to share during the memorial, that is a process of curating, which I, I just kind of define as choosing with intention. So choosing with intention what images you might share in that memorial slideshow. So even there, we're having to make choices when we might be in shock, when we might be devastated by grief, when we might have this brain fog or feeling like we're in a storm. Somehow, the way our society works, certainly the American society, we have to make all these choices when we're right there in yes. the storm of grief. Yes. Like you have to do it now, right? And There's so urgency. Yeah. Yeah. When, you know, if we do have the ability to be able to give that pause, right, and to be able to really curate and be thoughtful and be intentional, I think that can also give you the time to try to piece things together, yeah. right, and to really, again, even honor each of those items and even mm. give yourself a chance to recall the memories and and to understand your attachment. That's, I, I just, I mean, I feel like the grief gallery, it just brings up so much because mm. I think you draw attention to what people are doing already, but mm -hmm. the intentionality of it and the deeper meaning behind it, I feel like you're really able to bring out to the surface. Yeah, um, that's mm -hmm. definitely part of the mission of the grief gallery. I love galleries. They are my safe space. My mother loved museums and art. And you know, she took me to the Louvre when I was a little kid. And she, we loved going to museums. I grew up in New York, in Manhattan, in Chinatown. But we would do school trips to the Met and to MoMA. So museums and galleries have always been my happy place and my safe place. And it really struck me that a gallery really invites you to pause, to slow down, to look at pieces of artwork and to consider them, to really look and to consider 
not just the actual piece, but what it means to you, how you interpret it, right? They're often in the classic white cube model of a gallery, of an art gallery. You have the white walls, you have lots of space. Often there are benches that invite you to sit down. And it really struck me that that's what I needed. And that's what the grief gallery invites people to do to take that time, make that space for their grief and time to consider their relationship with their loved one, what's happened, and how do they want to stay connected with their loved one. And I find that using their belongings and using the meaningful objects that remind us of our loved ones, they're a really great starting point really powerful pieces for sparking conversations and this kind of contemplation. Yeah. I'm wondering even too, as I'm contemplating here (laughs) is um, when people are choosing to keep items and maybe as you've coached different people um, through this method and even curated um, your own galleries is understanding what if there are pieces that maybe don't bring up the best memories and how do you help people when they find those, or maybe they discover something that oh, yeah. <laughs> that they, that they didn't know about. Right. Because it can almost be even like a treasure hunt, right? Like you're searching for, for these things to hold on to your loved one, but there could also be different things that we find And do you feel people, what do people do with those? Do they hold on to them? Do they give them different meaning? Do they put them in the gallery to express that? Yeah, there can be a whole range. I really like to break it out into relationships of different kinds. There's the relationship with the person who died. There's the relationship with the loss itself, because those are different. Mm. Yeah. And there are relationships with the items, with the objects. And the reason that something is meaningful to us is because of the meanings, the meanings we have attached. That's why something that's meaningful to us is meaningless to someone else, Mm -hmm. which by the way, is a huge source of conflict. Yeah. Right. A lot of conflict in families. I've, I'm an only child, so I didn't have to deal with this. I had different problems, a lot mm-hmm. of loneliness, but a lot of my clients have conflicts with siblings yes, because I've of this a lot difference. Of that as well. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so there's so much fallout. So part of my work is offering different ways of seeing the objects because it reveals different ways that people relate to objects and to stuff, but also relate to the person and relate to grief. So one, I like to pull that all apart. Because you're right. Some things don't spark joy, as Marie Kondo would (laughs) say. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? And just as a lot of things are bittersweet after we lose someone, the objects can also become bittersweet. Yeah. So I'm happy to share more about how we kind of untangle all that. (laughs) Yeah, do it. Do it. Please share. Because I think... You know, even the whole premise of of this podcast is how do people say hello to their grief? How how are they able to acknowledge it and see it? And I think Mm -hmm. even when you do give it that actual concrete object, they can interact with it. um, They can see it. They can touch it. They can hold it. um, And they can feel it in that that, um, soul sense, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, that internal sense. And so I feel like this is a fantastic way for people to understand how can they take that step to acknowledge their grief, to say hello to it. And so, yeah, how do you help folks and in, in, in take them through that? I love how you named seeing it. Mm-hmm. Part of saying hello to grief is being willing to see it, right? How many people resist their grief, suppress it, try to hide it, try to mask it. And some of that is, well, because of how our systems work, right? If you have three Mm -hmm. days of bereavement leave, and like you mentioned, there are financial constraints, 
Sometimes people have to mask it. Sometimes yeah. people have to push it down for now because they need to keep a job mm-hmm. or they have other responsibilities. So one, being willing to see it and being willing to see it all. Mm, yeah. yeah. Meaning there's often a lot of pressure to look at the person through rose-colored lenses. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone becomes an angel when they die. Or to look for the silver linings and the rainbows right away. When really what's more helpful is to be able to allow us to see the whole range of experiences, of thoughts, of feelings, how we see the person, how we see the grief, how we see the loss, how we see the stuff, and how we see ourselves. I find that really powerful, that willingness to be able to see. Yeah. And I kind of think of coaching as offering different ways of seeing. Mm, I like that. I think I've always been really kind of obsessed with different ways of seeing, mm-hmm. whether it's art, art invites you to see things in different ways. And I wanted to be a journalist. And part of being a reporter and a journalist is being able to frame stories in different ways and deciding what angle you want to take, because it's actually not just reporting the facts. There is often a framing of the story and taking a certain angle and a certain interpretation. And I see that with coaching too, that it is Yes, seeing how we view it now and creating space to look at the items in different ways. Let me give you an example. Go ahead. Yes, please. Because I think if we were to ask people, right, tell me about your loved one. Oh, where do you start? You know, say, Julie, tell me about your sister. Or you might ask me about my mother. And I think because we both work with grief, we have stories. We have a certain way that we talk about our loved ones. So for us, we might have a set story. Other people might be so overwhelmed. Where do I even start? Do I talk about what an amazing person he was? Or do I talk about his alcoholism? Yeah. Because that's also part of his story. Yeah. Right? It's very complex. People are complex. Humans are complex. So when I invite people to say, what would you choose for your person's exhibition? What is meaningful to you? What is significant as an object for you? What does that object signify? That's a starting point for us to identify all that's attached to that one object, which can include the beautiful things, the happy things, and can include the not so happy things, the regrets, yeah. the guilt. So I'm moving my hands around right now uh, with the object in the middle and then as if we've got strands and threads coming off of it. And I actually do a mind mapping exercise with my Mm -hmm. clients to help visualize all this because I think often we don't even know how much we've got attached to that object. Yeah. And what those attachments are, right? And Mm -hmm. understanding how attachments can affect us in in itself, right? Yeah. Is it's kind of one of those things if it's too much or too little, you know, what what is that what is that attachment and where does it fall on that spectrum? Yes. Yeah. I recently did a talk in Dallas for a group of entrepreneurs and the topic was about packing and unpacking mm. lessons from a grief coach because The topic was really not just death-related grief, also business-related grief and other life change-related grief, but with that idea that, oh, we're all carrying around grief and losses, and often we don't ever stop to unpack it. So really, that's the first step, right? We have to actually unpack all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then decide what we highlight, what we spotlight. Yeah. Um, and I just think, think the, the objects are so powerful because they can reveal, yes, the joy, the love. And they can reveal, hmm, is there some hurt there? What's that about? Right. It's a great source of awareness and connection and healing. I think you and I were both 
very interested in how do people heal? What yeah. are ways to yeah. facilitate that? Yeah. And, and knowing that healing is not permanent, mm-hmm. that, that it is something that will be ongoing yes. and, and continuing and how we commit to that healing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think sometimes when they say that, that when people say like, oh, I want to heal, um, that it's going to be done. Right. And you graduate, it, you, it gets fixed. Yeah. And you never feel pain again. Yeah. Right? I'm going to do this thing and we're good. But really it's, you know, what other things can you continue to do? And even talking to other guests on the show, it's even what are the rituals? What are the practices that just become embedded in our daily life and, and what we do, um, in conjunction with these maybe one-off things or two-off things that we do that, that we enjoy that could be other avenues that can contribute to the ongoing healing. Yes. Um, and so that's but, what I, I want people to get from this is, yeah. and, and again, it's like with the seeing, it's also that new perspective that, mm-hmm. okay, maybe I haven't looked at it this way before. And, and what is it with this attachment that I have to this pencil? Like, why can't mm-hmm. I get rid of this pencil yeah. and to, to really face that? Or why haven't I been able to actually clean out that one drawer? Um, or why do we still have this storage unit that we keep paying for? Yeah. And no oh, one, yes. No one wants, no one wants to go in there and, and unlock yeah. it. Right. Yes. And it's really making me think about, um, because for my sister, we have had a storage unit and that we've kept and that we still have three years later. And, you know, my niece and I have had these different garage sales and, and I know when we've put different things out to sell there, there, I remember there, my sister um, was a nurse practitioner. And so she, she had boxes of like her nursing things and I saw at the garage sale, and this happens when people do garage sales, they'll see something that they put out and they're like, no, 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 we're, we're not going to sell that. <laughs> I'm still going to keep that. That outfit still looks oh, good. Yeah. On. <laughs> Even though you haven't worn it and seen it in like five years. I'm uh, still attached. <laughs> yeah. And then um, we had put out some of my sister's items and there was a stethoscope. And I just, for some reason was like, nope not ready. I'm going to, I'm going to keep the stethoscope and not knowing what I'm going to do with it or anything along those lines, but I have it now. And, but it's that symbol to her nursing, to her helping and, and, uh, and, and again, right. Just really unpacking, like you were saying, what, what does that all mean? Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you? Let's go. Yeah. Ask me all the questions. (laughs) That when you think of the, the that's no, oh, that's hard to say. Think <laughs> of the stethoscope. Yep. <laughs> and see it. What does come to mind for you? Um, I think for me, it really is that that nursing was a huge part of her life. But even as I'm thinking about it now is there so many layers to that? It goes back all the way to my sister probably didn't want to be a nurse to begin with, but she knew that would be a good avenue for her to provide for her family because she was a single mom as a teenager. And and there's also that, like, I'm very proud that, you know, I witnessed such a strong person that she was able to raise these children by herself a majority of her life and put herself through school and reach these levels of becoming a nurse practitioner. And so like all those layers are symbolized in that stethoscope. Yeah. Right. We can imagine that stethoscope and then all these kind of stories and memories and meanings coming off of it. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Because yeah. I can see, right, that when you think about how she was a single mom and she did so much and mm-hmm. you feel proud of her 
And then there's another strand there that comes off of it. That's about, hmm, maybe she didn't really want to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. So that's another feeling that's associated with that thread, right? Mm -hmm. And that line of thinking. So yeah. that's an example of like, oh, one thing, yeah. different feelings, <laughs> different oh, stories. Totally. I will add, I will add to that story yeah. um, because the other day, it was the first time. So now I'm a mom. So that also makes me think about, it gives, it gives me so much more respect to my sister after she's died. Um, and again, we can go unpack all those layers, but, um, but my, my daughter, uh, had a fever for the first time and it was kind of scary. And, um, and I grew up in a medical household, so I'm okay with all the stuff. Um, but I was like, oh, I have my sister's stethoscope. And so I was able to put it on and like, listen to her breathing, listen to my daughter's breathing to where that then brought this sense of calm for me because I said, okay, like her airways, like her, her lungs sound good. Like there's no crackling or anything in there that I felt like, okay. And then I it's kind of one of those things where well, I'm glad that I kept that. And that was another way that I felt like my sister was helping me. And so that, that can kind of sound, you know, funny to folks or interesting to folks, no, but, it's perfect. Those are, but those are the, those are the connections that I feel like we have. Yes. Yes. No, I love that because it's, it's interesting, right? When we talk about keeping things, some people are in the camp of keep everything. Other people are in the camp of keep nothing, <laughs> let it all go. Yeah. Most people are somewhere in between. So really the question that I work with both in my curatorial work, in my exhibitions, and the way that I talk about my process of curating grief, but also what I do with my grief coaching clients is really fundamentally that question, what do you want to keep? What do you want to let go of? So in the way that you've named, okay, no, I wanted to keep the stethoscope. Okay, now we can see all the meanings and what's attached to it. Now you get to decide what's attached to it. And do you want to keep those yeah. stories and meanings and implications? And the story you've just shared of being able to use your sister's stethoscope to care for your child. Mm-hmm. I think also illustrates the research is kind of emerging from this in terms of what's healthy in terms of holding on to things related to continuing bonds theory. Okay. Mm -hmm. Tell us more. So that idea that when a person dies, we don't sever ties with them. We don't sever bonds with them. Often we want to continue to stay connected in some way to still feel a bond. Yes. And how these objects, these meaningful objects, these belongings can play a role in that. And when is it healthy and when is it unhealthy? Mm. And the studies that I've read have noted that mm, it tends to be healthier. And when I say healthy, I'm saying it really in a colloquial way, right? Neither of us are medical professionals. At least I'm not. Maybe you are. Yeah. You're a doctor. I don't know. I'm a book doctor. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Book doctor. A lot of right. research and reading. Yeah. Right. So caveat, this is not medical advice. We are not yeah. diagnosing anything. <laughs> but when I say that what can be a more helpful way of keeping items and having that bond through the items the studies have shown that when the relationship is more dynamic, when it's internal, it's like our relationship to the person that's there and dynamic meaning that like the relationship also changes, that stethoscope could be like a museum piece in your house, which is still valid. And you've actually integrated it into your current life. You've used it. You've given it new meaning. You now have a new memory associated with it. And that kind of ability to keep it flexible, keeping it dynamic, keeping it moving with you rather than keeping you stuck in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I think is a really important distinction when we think about these objects and the roles that they play. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think this really speaks to um, when we can say hello to grief, right? When we can see it, when we can acknowledge it is then, then what's the next step we can take, right? And can it be these choices that we make in keeping uh, these relationships, right? How, how do we keep these relationships? And like you said, they will look different and they will change over time. And how are we able to, again, create those bonds through different avenues so that we can still feel attached in the best way possible? Yeah, it really is choice about choosing not just to keep the bonds, but what kind of bonds, right? What kind of relationship do you want to have with your sister moving forward? And for me, choosing the objects from my mother's house was a lot about choosing what kind of relationship do I want to have with my mother moving forward? Because there definitely were things in those house. There definitely were things in that house that created a feeling or led to a feeling of regret and guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And there were items that were remnants, evidence of painful periods in her life mm -hmm. that uh, did not, like I said, spark joy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to figure out what to do with them. Um, boxes from her divorce from my father. What am I supposed to do with that? I'm not putting that in the exhibition. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I could deal with them at the time. So you mentioned a storage unit for your sister. Yeah. I spent over $20,000 on a storage unit. Wow. Over eight years after I sold my wow. mother's house. And some of that was because of circumstance. Living an ocean away meant uh, I can't the choice, bring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can't bring these things. What am I supposed to do with my grandmother's sewing machine? I'm not ready to let that go yet. Mm -hmm. And some of it was some things were just too painful to deal with in those early days, in those initial years. For sure. So having a lot of compassion for myself and encouraging grieving people and my clients to have a lot of compassion for themselves too, because dealing with this stuff is not easy, as you know. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think that's such a good reminder, especially for myself and for those listening, right, is how we're able to take care of the things that we know we want to be taken care of. But sometimes that actually, it takes years, like you said, and that I'm in the midst of to where it's even figuring out what is the block, like what is blocking us from attempting to to take care of the things that we need to do, whether it is storage unit, whether it is following up, following up on maybe legal paperwork, all those different things that, you know, it's hard for us because I do think there can be those reminders of the reality that our person has died. And so yeah. we kind of get, we take those, those steps back again before we can continue to, to, to move forward. Yeah. I, I do have, I do have a question. Um, and how do you feel like your grief has changed over the years? And how do you feel like the grief gallery has helped you with that? Oh, it's changed so much. And I think my personal experience of that, one, I, mean, I want to remember this question for you too, of, you know, saying hello to grief of when is someone ready to say hello to yeah. grief? And are there times that people aren't ready? Mm -hmm. Because in my work with curating, not everyone is ready to curate. Curating an exhibition about your person or doing a creative project or even thinking about curating whether that looks like an altar or commissioning a piece of art in memory of your person, that is all essentially about making meaning of your person's life. And not everyone is ready for that. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you're still in the storm, as I like to put it, and you're just trying to survive or you're just trying to make sense of what happened, and often it doesn't make sense, it can't make sense, you might not be ready yeah. to make meaning. Yeah. So I always want to 
note that. Oh, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) No, for sure. And I think that's, that's been something too, is, is when I say that it's, it really is understand that people are going to have their different timing. They're going to have their different time and their different abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, and that there is absolutely no pressure. Uh, Yeah. And it it is always hard to take that first step. Yeah. uh, To, to acknowledge. Yeah. Sometimes I like to share the timeline of how I did things. Sure. Yeah. Um, because I hold a monthly grief gathering where I encourage people to consider what would they choose? What would they like to share from their person? What might they curate? And sometimes people say, I I love the idea of this and I don't feel ready. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes I'll share the timeline where I think it's significant that I did not my first public exhibition about my mother until a year after I sold her house and more than two years after she died. Yeah. I wasn't ready before that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was curating in terms of sorting through her home and making decisions, but that was like a private curation that wasn't for public consumption. That wasn't for making order out of any of it. It was just what I needed to do. Yeah. So one way that I talk about is to say that there for me was the proof of death phase and the proof of life phase Mm. in terms of dealing with my mother's death. She died really suddenly. She had a stroke. So it took me quite a while to get my head around the fact that she was actually gone. And my life was consumed by dealing with the estate, which included paperwork as well as the house and her belongings. So for those first two years, I really think of that as a proof of death phase where I was just carrying her death certificate around. I was trying to understand, oh my God, is she really dead? Is she really gone? Mm -hmm. I was answering other people's questions. And it really wasn't until I settled her estate, I sold the house, I made some of those really hard decisions and choices that I could really turn to, okay, she died. I'm not focusing on the fact that she died and how she died. I'm now going to turn my focus to how she lived. Mm -hmm. And the first exhibition was actually called Proof of Life because the objects that I chose to display from my mother's house were really evidence to me of what kind of person she was yeah, and what I wanted people to know about her. Yeah, that's, that's really, I I mean, that title, now that I know even the, the title of that, that first show is just, that's brilliant um, to do that. I'm wondering, um, you know, when you have folks curate, themselves. Can you tell us what the shows, I guess, look like? Are there multiple people showing? Do you help people curate just one for themselves? If people are interested in this, what does it it look like? It can look like anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's something that people get stuck on too, right? Do I need to be an artist? Do I need to be creative? We said you don't need a gallery space. You can just do a shelf. So I think you can do a whole range of things. I have a client whose mother was a curator, an actual art curator. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So she really resonated with this approach. So what this client is likely going to do is to actually curate a physical exhibition about her parents because she grew up in that world. She understands museums and galleries. She wants to do an exhibition. That makes sense to her too. Other people, they might go with the shelf. They might say, hmm, you know what? I want this exhibition to help create space in our family's lives for this person and what this person meant to us. And when you say a shelf, is Mm -hmm. it, this is in the home? in their, in their home or can be in the home, can be in the office, because I think it's interesting too. When we consider putting together an exhibition, when I would do an exhibition with my artists and my designers, I would think, okay, what am I showing? Whose work am I showcasing? But also who's the audience? Mm -hmm. 
for this particular show. So some people might curate a shelf that is just for them. Mm. It's in their private space. It's in their studio space. When I say studio, I mean like creative studio, because it really is just for them. Maybe the person they're remembering was problematic in some ways and did not have a good relationship with other people. So this curation is just for them. And that is a shelf or that is a piece of artwork, an arrangement, an altar. Other people that might look like something that's for the family. So I've had a client, her curation, her exhibition took the form of a book. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she was already thinking of putting together this book about her husband. And she came to one of my talks. And I think the way that I was talking about curating the objects helped to make it click for her mm -hmm. of, oh, this is a way to anchor the stories about my husband. Mm. I could anchor the stories that I want to tell in certain objects or significant snapshots and that kind of thing. So it can take any form. Yeah. And how do, you, I'm kind how, of, how do you see people after if they've created one in their home, in their workspace, mm -hmm. if they've actually done their own exhibition? Yeah. Um, what's the after for them? What are what's some of the feedback that you've gotten or any of let's call them transformations um that they've had? Yeah. I think it's being clearer in their mind about how they want to remember their person. Because for some people, their issue was other people remember this person in all these different ways. That's the problem with the formal memorial and the formal funeral, right? Mm -hmm. It's everyone kind of having opinions. And sometimes people feel like, no, I want to remember this person in my way. Wow. Yeah. And being able to curate their own exhibition reminds them of that. Yeah. That's yours. That's your relationship with the person. So there's that aspect of things. And for some people, it is the start of, oh, I actually started to sort through some things. I, I guess maybe I can continue with the rest of the house. So it can look in like all kinds of ways. And I'm exploring this idea of, um, Sometimes the exhibition is just in your head. Hmm. Like sometimes people do a website or, you know, you can even do an Instagram feed or whatnot. Right? Yeah. I mean, I love this. These are all just really great ways that people can see because yeah. if people aren't in the art world, mm -hmm. they might feel like that's not, you yeah. know, attainable for them. But even as you mentioned these other ways, I think that's super helpful for people to, to yeah. know. There's yeah. a whole range. You don't need to be artistic. I don't draw. I don't know how to draw, but I love commissioning artwork. Mm -hmm. So I've commissioned a lot of artwork in memory of my mother. And oh. I love offering that as an option because often people don't have things or they don't have the object that they really, really want. And you can commission artwork to either be an illustration of the object or to commission something else so that you have something tangible. For sure. I I've did that. Um, I took my sister's ashes and um, uh, made it into jewelry. So I have a ring. I have two rings actually um, with her ashes in it. So I even even those type of things, you know, when you're talking about commission is there's plenty of people out there in the world <laughs> that they can bring that vision to life or you can tap into their creativity. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really also another good reminder for people to know how they can curate. Yeah, you can transform it. That example of the ashes are now into jewelry. You've transformed the actual form. Mm -hmm. right? And I sometimes think of that when we're thinking of continuing bonds, because we want to stay connected with our loved one, but it is going to be in a different form. Mm. So they're no longer physically here. Yeah. Right, the role that we play with them is different. Our schedules might be different. If we were a caregiver, we relate to them differently, mm -hmm. but we can still stay connected. And I really love that parallel of commissioning something or 
transforming the object into something else as oh, a representation yeah. of yeah. that changing bond. Yeah. So yeah. that's an example of another example of how grief can change. Our relationship can change over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're making me think of so, so much. <laughs> and I there's know that there's so much, but I think this is this, that's why I think it's such a good idea. And I think the grief gallery is another way that it allows people to communicate their grief, to share their grief, to investigate their grief, to like, I think that's been the theme of this, right? To see it in a different way um, yeah. or to see it for all it is as well. And so that's why I think it's just such a really great idea. And I'm glad that you're doing it. And I'm glad that you have the passion for this. And I just want everybody to know about this so that they can seek you out, learn from you and experience their grief in, in another way. Um, that can I appreciate help that. Yeah, yeah. It really is so accessible. Um, like we said, you know, you don't need to be an artist. You don't even need to do art. I'm a big fan of the artistic gesture, <laughs> <laughs> meaning that a client was saying, oh, I, there was just a load of, you know, things that we had to put in the dumpster. And I felt so terrible just seeing it all get hauled away. And we we're laughing because we were like, well, what if you just thrown a flower on top of it? Then it would have been an artistic gesture. <laughs> Yeah, these are all just really great tips, you know, on, on to do that and to when we're wrestling with these with these ideas that we may have guilt about is how can we flip the script? How can we change the narrative on it? Yes. And and, and make it our own. And and that's art and art is truly for everyone. Yes. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. Everyone's an artist. So we all see things in different ways, which also means there's the possibility of seeing things in ways that we hadn't considered. Mm -hmm. So I really like to offer that up as a way to approach our grief, a way to approach all that we're carrying after loss in a way that feels lighter for us, yeah. less grim, and even potentially beautiful. That's the same thing I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I want to um, end today with asking you two questions that I have been asking all the guests during this season. Um, so the first one is going to be, if you were to say hello to someone today who is grieving, what would you say to them? I don't know that these are the actual words that I would say, but essentially what I'm always asking is, what hurts, what helps, and what heals. So and good. remembering not everyone's ready for healing. We're not forcing that. Healing is also a natural part of the grieving process, so we're not going to push that. But just asking the question maybe offers the hope that it's possible. Yeah. I love that. I think you might be the first person that answered this with questions back. And I think that's great, right? Because oftentimes we think we need to say something to fix it when no. sometimes we just need to be witness and heard and have somebody ask us those questions that show that they, that they care. Yeah. Even as grief professionals, it's like, I know nothing. I assume <laughs> that I know nothing about what you're experiencing. Yeah. You tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the second question is, if you were to say hello to your own grief today, what would you say? Hello, grief. There you are. And you get to stay in the room. I'm not going to chase you out. I know you're here for a reason. And I know you're here for different people. You're here in some way for my mother. You're here in some way for my uncle. And you're here for a friend and grief colleague who passed away very recently. So I know, yeah, you are more present. I'm more aware of you than you usually are. <laughs> but I know you're always here. And you get to stay in the room. Maybe I'll play with you later. Maybe I'll pet you later. 
soothe <laughs> you later. But for now, I'm having a chat with Julie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for that. Thank you for that. You're like, I'll get to you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge, all of your just, you know, beauty that you bring into this grief space. Right. And thank you for sharing your stories with us um, and sharing your grief with us. Um, thank you. Yeah. Where can, where can people say hello to you? So <laughs> would love for people to say hello, to reach out, to connect with you. So let's tell everybody where they can do that. You can say hello on Instagram at curating underscore grief. And my website is curatinggrief.com. From there, you can visit the grief gallery where I have exhibitions about grief and loss. And you can find out more about grief coaching. If you want to learn more about, ooh, how do I curate my own grief? What if I need to unpack? Well, thank you. I will be adding all those links into the podcast description so everybody can find them there. Please do say hello to Charlene. I know you've taken a lot from this episode. And as I close out today, if grief has taught me anything, it is that time is our most valuable resource. So thank you for people giving their time to listen today. Thank you for Charlene for being here Thank you for just taking the time to say hello to grief today. There are so many people in this world grieving the loss of someone or something, and it's not my goal to reach every single one of them. It's simply to reach one, and I hope that this person is you. I hope you took at least one thing from listening today that helps you on your journey. Take the time to say hello to your grief today, and better yet, say hello to someone else because you never know who you will be greeting in their grief. I would love to say hello to you. So follow me at hello. I'm grieving on Instagram or any other social media channel um, at hello. I'm grieving and my website, hello. I'm grieving.com. Let me know what resonated with you and what topics you would like to learn more about. So until next time, I look forward to saying hello. I forgot to mention one more thing. So I'll add this at the end if you, in case you can edit it. And if you can't come to Lisbon, do though, because I'm going to be holding grief retreats. But if you cannot come to Lisbon and to Portugal, you can come to my free monthly grief gathering for the grief gallery. It is every month on the last Wednesday of the month. All right. Thank you for adding that. Thank you so much. And everybody can find that on your website too, right? Okay, perfect. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for saying hello today. <laughs>